The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You've got this tug of war going on between the government and the Bank of England. That doesn't lead to a stable situation. We must face up to the fact that for too long, our economy has not grown enough. I'm prepared to do what it takes to get us through these difficult times, to get us through this difficult winter, and to come out stronger as a country. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepgut. Well, coming up on today's programme, we're going to talk about the steep challenges facing the Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Plus, the Bank of England ramping up its bond buying plan. We explore why that matters for politics. Plus, Nicola Sturgeon uh, is closing out the SNP's party conference in Aberdeen. So we'll be speaking to the MP, Stuart Hosey. Well, talking of uh, conferences, you're back uh, from the Conservative Party conference. Was a weekend enough to uh, recover? Yeah, I'm not sure that I kept the late hours that some of the MPs did. My goodness, what a number of hair-raising stories about how drunk people got. Uh, anyway, that aside, yes, I did get over the Conservative Party conference, but then I woke up to the story about Elon Musk. Did you read it? Yeah. I thought it was absolutely staggering um, that the world's richest man, American entrepreneur, co-founder, founder of PayPal, SpaceX, Tesla, etc., etc., potentially soon the owner of Twitter, his solution to the biggest crises of our day on Taiwan and Ukraine is effectively to concede to Russia and to China. Well, hold on. I think there are a couple of things here. I mean, for a start on Taiwan, I mean, you know, Tesla makes about a quarter of its sales in China. So surely this is this is sensible uh, economics from 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 this man, so- <laughs> and, and Chinese consumers are very very tuned into politics, and, and and you know what you say about political issues in China really matters to sales uh, in in that okay, country. Okay, but business wise, it may make sense. But hang on a second, what about democracy? Uh, you know, we're talking about a political program. You know, what about people's rights? Um, I mean, this surely, to my mind anyway, runs completely against. American values, European values, UK values. I mean, is this not the danger of business people getting involved in politics? Well, I think we see we have vast experience. That he's quite happy to say what he thinks, isn't he? He's he's, he's not the average uh, the average CEO. I, I think I think on Ukraine, I think he was merely setting out what he thought would be a practical way of bringing the bloodshed to an end. And I get that nobody, no Ukrainian leader and no Western leader is going to say Ukraine needs to concede some land. But he's just saying, mm. in practical terms, Moscow is not just going to kind of give up on this this fight without, you know, without getting something. Yeah, okay. Well, pragmatism or as Taiwan's de facto ambassador to Washington put it, Taiwan sells many products, but our freedom and democracy are not for sale. I just think it's so incredibly interesting that you have the world's richest man putting out this kind of clear political view that is sort of uh, sympathetic towards authoritarian regimes. Mm. Anyway, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, well, he's never boring, is he? Well, one person we hope will be in uh, top shape this week is Liz Truss. She's set for crunch meetings with backbench MPs and her cabinet as she tries to save off a Tory rebellion. 
So it's the SNP's first in-conference gathering since 2019. Nicola Sturgeon will close the conference this afternoon with her leader's speech, of course. Well, the court case into the second independence referendum, though, is also beginning in London tomorrow. Remember, this is the mainstay of the SNP's campaigning. If the UK government doesn't agree to a second referendum, which it won't, the question is being put to the UK Supreme Court whether Scotland can hold a referendum without that consent. Well, joining us now from Aberdeen is the MP for Dundee East, Stuart Hosey. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics. No problem. Happy now, to. What kind of tone will Nicola Sturgeon take in her speech this afternoon? I'm sure she'll take a pretty upbeat tone, actually. Uh, I think she'll lay out where we are, uh, the difficulties caused by COVID, the difficulties caused by the recent UK government mini-budget, the challenges that lie ahead. But nevertheless, I think she'll offer up an escape route for Scotland from this uh, Tory government, Tory austerity, and, you know, that is independence. Okay. Um, Do you think that Sturgeon was right to say, though, that she detests Tories? Well, she made it clear in the subsequent interviews. She was talking about Tory party policy. You know, when any decent person sees the attack on the poorest in society, the threat to many, many people who are on various welfare payments, at the same time as a Tory government were lifting the cap on bankers' bonuses, you know, that's pretty despicable stuff from the Tories, yeah. It's quite a strong word, though, isn't it? And do you think that by using those kind of strong words, it does kind of somewhat sort of lower the sort of lowers the tone in politics a little bit? No, I I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I've seen the way that uh, unionist politicians of all stripes have treated the SNP with uh, disdain, with disgust on occasion. I think to be highly and vocally critical of Tory party policy when it is quite so damaging, uh, particularly to the social fabric. I don't think that's uh, inappropriate at all. And certainly when I I looked at my kind of social media feeds, uh, I saw a great many people say, you know, I can't see anything dreadfully controversial about this. Mm. Um, The legal case for Holyrood um, getting the power to hold another independence referendum that starts uh, on Tuesday. What happens if you don't win that court case? Well, first of all, remember the UK is a a union, a union of different nations. uh, And in any union, there must be a legal route for one or other party to be able to leave. Uh, If it isn't a union with the ability to leave, then, you know, effectively becomes a prison. So I hope that the Supreme Court will say, yes, the Scottish uh, Parliament, the Scottish Government does have the right to hold the referendum. uh, And if we hold it and if we win it, uh, then I would hope and expect the UK Government would respect the outcome and immediately enter into negotiations for Scotland to become an independent country. Now, as the First Minister has made clear, uh, should that not be the case, then we will treat the next UK general election as a de facto referendum. Uh, One way or another, uh, the Scottish people will have their say uh, on whether we become independent or not. You made the political case for a referendum very clear, but isn't the economic case, the economic timing, really pretty terrible. UK borrowing costs have soared over the last few months. It's costing the UK government a lot of money to to borrow on the markets. Scotland, uh, a smaller country with a bigger deficit, would be paying through the nose to, to, to fund that deficit, wouldn't it? 
Well, I think there are two things. First of all, the uh, debt which is allocated to Scotland is not a debt the Scottish government builds up. Uh, the Scottish government is required to and does run a balanced budget. Uh, the debt which is allocated to Scotland is just that. The UK borrows all the money and they say you have an 8.5% share of that, whether or not that money is spent in or on behalf of Scotland. Now, as for the timing, because borrowing costs are rising, you're right about that. Surely when we look at what the Tories have done to the economy, a mini-budget which they admitted was going to cost £45 billion, another £65 billion the central bank had to inject to buy bonds and gilts to stop the pension system collapsing around our ears, I can't think of a better argument to be independent than to get away from that economic shambles which is driven from Westminster. Okay. Um, the issue, though, of course, would be that, in, as in any messy divorce, actually yeah. deciding who gets what, uh, you know, from the spoils uh, in terms of goods but also debt is really quite yes. difficult. And there's no, you know, there's... Scotland would have to make that case. There's no guarantee that Scotland would end up in a particularly strong financial position. Well, it's interesting because you're absolutely right. There would have to be negotiations. We've always accepted that. It's also the case that the SNP have said that Scotland should and would service its uh, uh, agreed negotiated share of UK debt. That is absolutely right and absolutely the proper thing to do. But, of course, if we're going to accept our share of the debt then, of course, we would expect to get our share of the assets. Uh, and in that sense, it leaves Scotland in no worse a position than the UK, uh, with the potential, if we make the right policy decisions, of being an awful lot better and relatively quickly. If the polls are right, then Labour may be uh, heading back to Westminster soon. What does a Labour government mean for the SNP? Isn't that pretty bad news? It gets rid of the bogeyman of a Tory government, doesn't it? No, it doesn't actually, um, because at the end of the day, although I'm talking about the Tories because they're in power right now, this is about the union, it's about whoever happens to be in power in Westminster. It's a far more uh, principled question than just one party being in power in Downing Street. And also when you looked at the most recent polls, you know, the SNP and independent supporters hovering around 50%. Yes, it's true, Labour went up a few points in the last week or so, but then so did the SNP. It's only the Tories who've collapsed. So in terms of electoral dynamics, this doesn't really change anything in terms of where we are in Scotland. Um, our investor audience obviously follow this closely. Sterling um, has had a very difficult month um, and has mm. struggled against a very strong dollar. Back in 2014, the idea of currency and what Scotland would use um, was yeah. a very difficult one to overcome. I mean, given the exchange rate for Sterling, would an independent Scotland still want the pound? Well, this is the question. I mean, in 2014, it was something in the order of $1.60 to the pound. Now it's hovering around $1.10. So you're right. Sterling is not what it was, which is why some years ago we took a decision, even though the 2014 position was for a fair, uh, a shared formal currency union, we've taken the position to use sterling pro tem and then move as quickly as is economically sensible 
uh, to establish our own currency. Once the institutions are in place, the research uh, institutions are set up, uh, the foreign currency reserves are in place and so on and so forth, I think that's a far better and more sustainable approach in the long run. And of course, it mirrors what almost every country which has become independent in the last hundred years has done. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, Liz Truss is preparing for a fight this week with her own MPs as Parliament gets back to business. And in a sign of how seriously relations have deteriorated with her own parliamentary party, several members of her government have penned open letters over the weekend urging MPs to stop infighting and throw their support behind her. Meanwhile, the Bank of England has this morning announced additional measures to support market functioning. The bank previously stepped in after gilt markets crashed in the wake of the government's poorly received budget. Well, joining us to discuss all of the politics and the economics, Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael and in our London studio, our Bank of England reporter David Goodman. David, great to have you with you uh, with us. Now, firstly, you know, the reason that the government is in so much difficulty after this month and that support has sort of ebbed away from trust is all around the economy how can they turn this around yeah and that's central to everything we're seeing in the uk at the moment whether it's the government or the bank of england it's how the uk can restore its credibility with markets how it can get that trust back and how it can kind of focus on the kind of real issues of the economy rather than having to deal with what has been real turmoil in the last kind of couple of weeks with with all these risks to um, to market and then those kind of flowing back into the economy how should we view this um, uh, announcement from the Bank of England this morning? Is you know they're they're um, planning to double their bond buying over the next few days, but then they do hope to to bring it to an end, don't they? What, how, what should we read into that? Yeah, I think in terms of, of doubling it, it's really just showing how committed they are that they're prepared to buy in these huge quantities, and these quantities are massive. It's fifty billion a week if you kind of take if you extrapolate it on, and that is. I mean, bear in mind that some of their sizes of extensions of QE in the past have been a hundred billion over. A period of months like this is a real intense period of buying obviously the market hasn't really taken them up on that yet they've been pretty low down i think what's really interesting is that they've come up with this new longer term facility as well to kind of keep liquidity in markets kind of help these funds fund their their, their, their collateral calls and i think that is really them just trying to say look we're still here we're going to do whatever we need to do to keep this market functioning I think they're quite keen to wrap up the actual direct buy-in as soon as they can because mm-hmm. that's really extraordinary and really runs counter to a lot of the stuff they're doing with, with QT and on monetary policy. So they're saying, we'll do that in size now and then going forward and until I think it's November the 10th, we're going to have this other facility there that you can rely on if you need it. So uh, yeah, it, we're kind of carrying on backstop in the market, but we're, we're doing that in a way we're more comfortable with now. 
Okay, this is a terrible look, isn't it, for the Chancellor and for the Bank of England Governor, Andrew Bailey, who actually is going to be in Washington, D.C. this week because it's the IMF World Bank meetings. And there's going to be quite a bit of kind of scrutiny, isn't there, or pressure on Andrew Bailey to understand what's happening in the UK, or at least that's our reporting and understanding of it. What's your perspective? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's a really bad look for the Chancellor. For Bailey, I'd Mm. argue it probably isn't because bear in mind that this is a central bank who's, for the whole summer, You've had people in the Tory leadership race lining up to kind of kick lumps of them out, out of them, really. Like they've been criticising them for QE, they've been criticising them for being too late on hiking rates. And now, within weeks of the new government coming in, the Bank of England's had to step in and save them. And they've really shown their value. And the kind of the whole of the UK economic institutions have, have really shown their value. You've got the OBR now being really important, the BOE being really important. They've kind of from what looked like a moment of maximum weakness a few weeks ago, they're now really in a stronger position they've been for ages. So I think Bailey will, he won't be happy with what's happened, but it has strengthened the BOE's position and kind of, I think boosted their credibility as well. Well, let's bring in Therese from Bloomberg Opinion. Now, Therese, uh, a big a big speech for uh, Liz Truss in front of her Conservative Party members uh, on Wednesday. It's going to be tricky for her, isn't it? What, what does she need to say to, to, to steady this ship? I mean, I think... What she needs to do is convince them that there really is no alternative to her leadership uh, that would give them any you know, serious chance of recovering in the polls. And that's a pretty tall order when you're, you know, 20 points plus behind um, the Labour Party. But, I mean, she will argue that there's very little time that the government has a plan to roll out some supply side reforms that will be pro growth. So that is, you know, obviously her, her uh, big selling point, her big mission is to get growth on the way, but it's, it's a very, um, uh, you know, difficult thing as we saw at the party conference, because the reforms that she will want to push through and that have the largest chance of kind of moving things on the growth front are going to be, uh, politically difficult within her own party. And, mm. um, you know, she, she had said originally that she was willing to be unpopular, but she probably didn't mean being unpopular with her own backbenches. She probably thought, you know, I can absorb a bit of unpopularity with the public if everyone benefits. But this is a very different world that she's landed in in the past couple of weeks. David, the other big announcement that we had today was around the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, and the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng going to announce his medium-term fiscal strategy and then the economic forecast on the 31st of October. There's been, the last couple of weeks, loads of debate about whether it would be the 23rd of November, there was a rollback and then a reconfirmation. Now we know it's the 31st of October. What has to be in those figures for it to convince markets and perhaps to bring this government back from the brink? Yeah, well, I think it needs to be a kind of credible plan, really, that markets can get behind. And actually, this is something they, they can they can do. I think quite often in the past, we've seen UK chancellors say, we're going to meet our fiscal rules, but we're going to do that by bringing in these huge cuts in years four and five of our forecasts. And that will mean we'll get to our rules. And in reality, they're never going to happen. Everyone knows it's not going to happen because like, it's just what they have to do to, to, to show that the finances are going to get to their rules. I mean, it's really tricky as well. When you've lost this much credibility in your early days like clawing that back is is really really tricky so i mean i think anything that's that's credible and then particularly maybe one of the important things is this is happening before the boe meeting Mm. in november so it's very close to the boe meeting so it's still a little bit up in the air whether they'll have time to fully factor all this into their forecast but at least when they make their policy decision they'll have that information i mean the boe have had this for what feels like years now where 
there's always a change in the fiscal standards just before they're meeting and it means their forecasts are out of date before they've even made them so it's not an easy job for them but i think that they have a chance at least to have a fuller picture now than they were going to Trez, one key fight uh, which has been sort of rumbling on the surface for a, a couple of weeks now is over the uprating of benefits. D- do you think Liz Truss is going to have to just concede that she's going to have to increase uh, universal credit and other benefits uh, fully in line with inflation? That, this is not surely, surely a fight she's going to want to carry on. Yeah, it's really hard to see how she um, doesn't do that. It's just the optics um, are horrible as you're cutting taxes generally as as people are facing enormous cost of living increases and energy price increases. Um, You know, the the numbers are quite staggering in terms of the number of people that would be uh, pushed into poverty if they don't operate those benefits uh, in line with inflation. You know, that obviously complicates the bigger picture because the the cost of the measures that have already been announced, if you obviously take away the scrapping of the top rate of income tax, about 43 billion. Bloomberg Economics is estimating they would need 58 billion in spending cuts by 26, 27, um, you know, just to get debt sort of falling as a share of GDP. Um, you know, and as David says, it's, it's a credibility question. You know, if this were George Osborne, I think, you know, people sort of took it, uh, you know, it took it seriously that he 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 was a fiscal hawk quasi kartang has set out his stall uh very differently so uh the markets will be expecting um you know signs that the government is moving in that direction and and they'll sort of demand proof and as we you know just discussed those are going to be uh unpopular things with with uh tory mps and the public to Mm. kind of meet those demands yeah, absolutely. I mean, perhaps unpopular also um, is the effect that all of this has had on mortgage rates. Um, David, the Treasury Select Committee are going to be also holding um, a session this week with Mel Stride. We were speaking to him up at the Conservative Party conference just a few days ago, along with Anthony Brown, who's another MP who sits on that very influential Treasury Select Committee. Stride is a uh, was a Sunak supporter, but he's a Conservative. He's been pushing for sort of the early release of the government forecasts. Um, I wonder what is he going to be pressing for now in terms of, you know, getting that credibility back or trying to get the government to to, to regain their kind of footing? Um, as also, you know, you have the mortgage impact on, on individual homeowners, which we can't understate in the UK. No, not at all. I mean, to start with Stride, he's been a real big figure in this. And it's amazing that he's been the real kind of voice of I guess, internal opposition within the Tory party, at least on the economic stuff. And that's kind of, is unusual, I guess, for someone who's the chair of a committee. It's it's been a very kind of public role. And obviously, he's very tight with Sunak and was a kind of big supporter of him. So you can kind of see the read across there. I think on mortgages, one really interesting thing on that is like, it just shows, this is obviously the real world impact of the market turmoil we had. And we've seen mortgage rates shoot up and above 6% in some instances now. And they're not, they haven't kind of come down even as the market calm down a bit so that damage has been done and in a way that does a lot of what the boe is trying to do one of the things in the uk is that the way the mortgage market works is there's a very small percentage who the boe can directly affect through variable rates when they hike rates i think it's something like only six percent of uk households are directly impacted by rate rise through their mortgage on that on that day obviously people are on fixed rates that takes time to filter through what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is partly Obviously, people become very worried about mortgages, and that has an impact on their spending and their kind of how they make their decisions. So, the kind of transmission of energy policy through that way has become a lot 
easier than a lot kind of firmer as well. So I think that, yeah, I think and obviously in the UK, homeowning is huge. I think we've written a lot about how for the Tory party, particularly homeowners are such a key constituency. So if the mortgage market doesn't come down and if they don't, or if it carries on getting worse, then both things are going to be pretty difficult for trusts, I think. David, just briefly, tell us about the economic backdrop to these uh, forecasts we're going to get at the uh, end of the month. We've got the unemployment data coming out tomorrow, haven't we? Um, yeah, so I think the unemployment and, and the jobs market has been one of the kind of real key parts of, of the UK economy recently and has been actually a, a bit of a strength. Like We've talked a lot about doom and gloom for the economy, but the labour market has been holding it really well. Unemployment rate is very low. There's there's obviously lots of vacancies. People are in work, which is really good because everything else in the economy hasn't been going so well at the moment. So I think if that starts to turn and we see early signs of that happening, then that would be a real worry for both the, the Treasury and also the Bank of England. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.